This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And since it's President's Day, thought it might be fun to do a President's Day special. We're going to do Mount Rushmore picks. And on top of that, we're going to talk about some guys that we thought might have made it, but then ended up having their careers derail or get traded or left town. We're going to talk about guys that were honorable mentions. So it's going to be a fun episode here on this President's Day with a guy that's not only the owner of JetsInsider.com, but also a certified very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. What's going on, Chris? Not much. Just dusted off my certificate for being such a very big deal. Just making sure it's nice and polished. You got to dust it off and make sure that it's in good condition because there may be one or two people at this point who are actually doubting the fact that you're a very big deal, and we can't have that now, can we? No, we can't. I don't know what's wrong with those people. Telling you, they better not question it after we go through our picks here for Mount Rushmore for the Jets, and we did it for offense and defense. And here's the crazy thing, Chris. We agreed on all the picks, so there's no argument here. It's not like we're going to debate it. We're going to give you the picks that we made, and then we're going to talk about some of the guys that almost made it. They were in the discussion. We'll talk about some guys that we thought could have made it if they'd have been here longer or had disappointing runs here. We'll talk a little bit about guys that were the quote-unquote people's champs and are going to make the Mount Rushmore of the fans' hearts, perhaps. So let's get right into it, and we'll start with the offense. And this is super easy, Chris, because the Jets have four Hall of Famers that spent the bulk of their prime with the team. So those are the four guys that we put on the Mount Rushmore. It's kind of one of those speaks-for-itself deals, and we'll go through each one of them a little bit. Let's start with the guy that everybody associates with the Jets. If there's one player that anybody thinks about when they think about the Jets, it's Joe Willie Namath, and we know the deal here. He had some excellent individual accomplishments, although obviously didn't have as many elite seasons as you would like to see from a guy as talented as him, largely because of his knees. But he's Captain Jet, and of course we know what the deal was with the guarantee, getting the Super Bowl trophy, the only time in Jets history that the team won it. And so it is what it is. We could sit here and debate if Joe Namath is overrated, but as far as Jets franchise goes, he is the straw that stirs the drink still. Maybe not the greatest player in Jets history, all things considered, but absolutely the most significant player in Jets history. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I am absolutely one of these people who doesn't like quarterback wins and doesn't like to say that a quarterback is good or not good because they won the Super Bowl or, or any player for any of those reasons. But he was the quarterback for the Jets' only Super Bowl. And the Jets have, you know, been a notoriously uh, struggling franchise since that Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, the guarantee the myth, the, all the mythology behind him, the way he, the star he was on and off the field. Obviously, yeah, we can agree that, you know, again, this was before my time, so it's not like I was watching those games, but he's probably a little overrated the way that he looked at, but uh, he was he was still just an absolute star, a magnetic star. He still is a star. People, if you've ever been around him and been, like, in the same place as him, to watch people flock to him, to watch that, how excited people get to him. And I, I, there's just no question. It's, he's got to be at the top of the list. The, you know, again, that guarantee winning that Super Bowl, the Jets only Super Bowl. It's, it's really just that simple. And we'll go down the list real quickly of his accomplishments. In addition to being a Super Bowl MVP and a Super Bowl champion, 
He was a Pro Bowler in 1972, as well as a second-team All-Pro. Comeback Player of the Year in 74. Led the league in passing yards and touchdowns in 1972, which a lot of people don't realize that he was so good in 1972 because everybody just thinks of the Super Bowl year and the years surrounding it. But he was excellent that season. Four-time AFL All-Star 1965 and then 67 straight through to 69. First-team All-AFL in 68. Makes sense. That was the year that they won the Super Bowl. Two-time AFL Most Valuable Player in 68 and 69. Rookie of the Year in 65. Two-time AFL Passing Yards Leader 66 and 67. All-time AFL First Team. And, of course, the New York Jets, Ring of Honor, and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So, as I said, kind of speaks for itself. We could argue whether or not he's overrated historically, but no question about it. Captain Jet goes on Mount Rushmore. So let's get to number two, and that is the guy who was just put in the Hall of Fame, Kevin Mawai. We talked all about his accomplishments, the multiple-time All-Pro selections, the fact that he completely changed the offensive line, how he revolutionized the center position to make it a more athletic position where previously it had just been big, huge guys that were bouldering guys over, and now it was becoming people that were super athletic as well, and Mawai really led the way. You go on down the line with all the great seasons that he had as a New York Jet. And I would say, again, that this is the best free agent signing that the Jets have ever had. Just a phenomenal player. There's a reason he's in the Hall of Fame. There's a reason he's in the Ring of Honor. And there's a reason he's on the Jets' Mount Rushmore on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, you know, we just did this uh, podcast on him not too long ago. So there's no need to go into detail rehashing all that stuff. But he he was a force, and just just think of the fact that you, any team's going to do this type of list. You're going to do it for whatever team. It's most, especially on the offensive side, it's mostly going to be quarterbacks and skill position guys. But here we are talking about a center at <laughs> this high on the list, and I don't understand how anyone can argue it. It's pretty indisputable. He was a dominating force. He was here for so long. And he changed the position, changed the way we looked at the uh, the position. Just an absolute beast. The way he carried himself, again, on and off the field. And, uh, you know, he was never able to get, to lead the Jets to the victory like Joe Namath was. But uh, he, he was a hell of a player to watch. So much fun to watch. And just an absolutely special football player. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. 
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next up on the list, another special football player and another guy that Bill Parcells brought in, and that is Curtis Martin, another Hall of Famer. Let's talk about Curtis Martin because there are people that also have said he's overrated because he was never the best running back in the league. You always had Barry Sanders or Emmitt Smith or LaDainian Tomlinson or somebody like that. But look, he was always right there in the discussion. He was always in the top of the running back conversation no matter what. Even if he wasn't as good as, say, Marshall Falk or LaDainian Tomlinson or somebody like that, he's one of the top running backs of all time, unquestionably. And let's go through his credentials as well here, Chris. When the Jets got him in 1998, it really was a difference maker. And I talked to Ray Mickens about this. If you go into our series on the 1998 season, Mickens said he didn't realize how good Curtis Martin was until he watched him day-to-day in practice and in the games and saw all the different things that he brought to the table. And he said, look, when we got him, we had thought, what are we doing? Adrian Morrell's really good. Do we really need to spend all this money and trade these draft picks to get Curtis Martin? How much better is Curtis than Adrian? And he said, no disrespect to Adrian, but Curtis was just on another level as a pass catcher, as a rusher, as a team leader, as a blocker. That's something that a lot of people don't remember, that he was... Excellent blocking, and in fact, the Jets haven't really had a guy that could do the things that he could do in the passing game as far as blocking goes since, and Le'Veon Bell would be a guy that would really pick up the mantle there if he were to come in, so fingers crossed knocked on wood, but let's go through all his accomplishments here. Here are his career numbers, 14,101 career rushing yards, an average of four yards per carry for his career, that's even in the down years, 90 rushing touchdowns in addition to 10 receiving touchdowns, so 100 overall all touchdowns for his career he's a guy that was a five-time pro bowler three of those with the jets two-time first team all pro both of those with the jets second team all pro in 99 so he's a three-time all pro overall as a new york jet nfl rushing yards leader in 2004 rookie of the year in 95 of course his jersey retired ring of honor and NFL Hall of Fame. And to me, he's a guy that was special, not only because of the numbers he put up, but when you watched him, he didn't have that breakaway speed that some of these other guys had, but he was elusive and he just knew how to make plays and had incredible field vision. Always found a way. He wasn't a guy that was necessarily going to break you that 80-yard run, but he was going to move the chains and move the chains and move the chains and always was making plays. That's what I'll remember about Curtis Martin. And I would say that even if he wasn't necessarily the... Pedro Martinez or Randy Johnson of his era, he was maybe that Greg Maddox, that consistently excellent player who was never the top one or two or three in the league, but always right there in that discussion for top five over the course of a decade-long career. So for me, no-brainer here, Curtis Martin. Yeah, the, the Greg Maddox comparison is really good. I like that because he was he was never the, you know, the fastest, the quickest. Uh, it wasn't the most dynamic, but he got the job done he consistently day after day after day. And to any of the people who will sit there and say he's underrated because uh, or overrated because he wasn't ever the best. So 
does uh, Drew Brees not make the Saints uh, Mount Rushmore because he's never been the best quarterback in the league? What about Phillip Rivers for the Chargers or Ben Roethlisberger for the Steelers? They've never been the best quarterbacks in the league. Are, are, are they not all-time greats? Of course they are. And again, the consistency that he had, the hard work that he put in. And, you know, one of my favorite things about Curtis Martin is the fact that he didn't really like football. And, like, imagine not liking football and going through putting in all the work and effort that he did and being as good as he did, what he had to deal with with his knees. That's the uh, another thing about Curtis Martin. You know, sometimes we reward longevity in sports uh, a little too much. Players stick around well past their prime, and, you know, they become compilers. And I remember towards the end of his year, like, being like, yeah, this has got to be it for Curtis. He's, he's, he's got to be done right about now. And then they'd be like, oh, nope, he's, he's not done yet. Wait a second, but he's got no cartilage left. He's bone on bone in his knees. How is he still doing this? It doesn't even make sense. But he was out there still doing it, still getting the job done. And, you know, he was the definition of a workhorse, somebody you could hand the ball to. And like you said, he's not going to be breaking those 80-yard runs, but he's going to get you four, four and a half yards every time you need it. And he was just so much fun to watch, too. No question. You want to talk about fun to watch, and I know that there are going to be some people listening to this that weren't around to see him. And I wasn't born during his peak, so I'll say that, but I have gone back and watched a ton and also researched it. We did a whole series on 1968, and he's on the Mount Rushmore for obvious reasons, being in the NFL Hall of Fame. And that, of course, is Don Maynard. And I think what a lot of people don't realize about Don Maynard, again, because he's not out there in a vocal presence and all that, is this is a guy who, at his peak, was just absolutely incredible. The kind of breakaway speed that he had, even when he was injured, this is a guy that could have a pulled hamstring string and still outrun half the league at that particular point in time made so many enormous plays and his connection with Joe Namath was incredible there was no limit to what those guys could do together in fact if you go back and look at the 1968 season so many times Maynard was just destroying defensive backs and him and Namath were teaming together to really spearhead what the Jets did that season so let's go through his accomplishments obviously a Super Bowl champion two-time first team all AFL four-time AFL AFL All-Star. He's a two-time second-team All-AFL, all-time AFL first-team, retired number by the New York Jets, and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So again, not a lot of weaknesses with Don Maynard, and the fact that he was able to play so well, often while hurt, is mind-numbing. Again, there were times in 1968 where he probably shouldn't have been on the field, and he was still outrunning these defensive backs and making huge plays and in clutch situations. So no question about it here. Don Maynard, one of the greatest wide receivers in the history of the sport, the greatest wide receiver in the history of the Jets, and he's got some competition there, as we'll get into a little bit later, Chris, but no-brainer here for the Jets' Mount Rushmore. Yeah, when, when we were discussing this, you know, I was going to a couple other receivers to think of putting in there, uh, which we'll talk about, like you said, but uh, and then you mentioned Don Maynard, and I'm like, yeah, you, you, you're not wrong. I can't, I can't argue that. I can't dispute that. Um, and the reason why I was initially holding off was just because I didn't see him play much. You know, I've seen highlights and whatnot. Um, but that you're talking about his, you know, the way he battled through injuries, that stuff is like the stuff of war. Like you, you grow up 
paying any attention to the Jets, you're going to hear those stories. My aunt's a huge Jet fan, and if you just say the name Don, you know, not Don Maynard, just Don, she would start ranting about Don Maynard, and she may never stop. Um, So, like, there's a history and a lore to him that just makes it undeniable right now that it's, it's really hard to argue him out of that spot. Obviously, very talented player to play through those injuries to also be a part of that Super Bowl winning team with Joe Namath. Um, you know, it, it's it's really hard to argue him out of that spot. And so we decided not to even try to do that. <laughs> exactly. And another guy that I think is absolutely beyond debate as far as Jets Mount Rushmore as we go to the defensive side of the ball is Darrell Revis, who let's be honest, all things equal, is probably the greatest player to ever wear a Jets uniform, period, at least in his prime. Just incredible what a lockdown corner he is, and we all know the accomplishments here. Revis Island, go back and look at what he did in 2009, shutting down all the best wide receivers in the league in a way that, in a passing league the way things are now, just seems like shouldn't be possible. But here are his accolades. A seven-time Pro Bowler, five of those came with the New York Jets. Four-time First team all pro three of those came with the New York Jets all rookie team in 2007 you could go on and on down the line now the one thing that people might point to is his interception totals aren't really that great but a big part of that reason as you know Chris is because quarterbacks did not want to throw at this guy so when you're not yeah. throwing at somebody he's not gonna be picking the ball off a lot but just incredible blanket coverage every single week in his prime with the Jets before the injuries mounted and he ended up leaving and then he sort of became a shell of himself at the very end and so it left a sour taste in people's mouth the way that he left here it seemed like he kind of did the Jets dirty by coming in collecting a check and then dogging it let's be honest at a certain point I think the injuries caught up to him and then he just couldn't be himself anymore and stopped trying but either way his peak when he was here with the Jets from 2007 all the way up until 2012 when he got hurt in the middle of that season was as good of a prime as you're ever going to see for any player at any position. Just absolutely dominant. I don't know what else needs to be said about this guy, but he's the first guy whose face should be on the Jets Mount Rushmore if we're doing one for the defense. Yeah, absolutely. He's He is the best cornerback I have ever seen. Uh, you know, people will go with uh, Deion Sanders, and I get it. But the technical ability of Prime Revis was just something to behold. The way he would just stick in the hip pocket of whoever he was covering didn't matter. Reggie Wayne, Calvin Johnson, uh, Chad Ochocinco. I I remember I loved listening. Chad Ochocinco is running his mouth talking about how Revis isn't going to be able to stop him. And then they go and play, and then he was just like, all right, yeah, I was wrong. I will never say another bad thing, question this man ever again. He was just like, oh, my God, this is incredible. And then I remember years after he had re- uh, Ocho Cinco had retired, I remember someone, uh, he was talking about best corners, talking about Revis, and um, somebody was just like, oh, but he holds all the time. And he's like, no, no, no. It's the arm bar. And he this guy had the strongest arm bar Chad Johnson had ever come across where he just put his forearm right in front of where you were going. He didn't grab. It, it wasn't a grab and a tug of a jersey. He would just put his arm there, and somehow that was enough to stop a 200-something-pound guy running at full speed. It was enough to slow him down enough to, for Revis to be able to uh, get him off his route 
uh, to make a play, to, you know, disrupt the pass, and just the technical aspect, the fundamental aspect of it all. And yes, obviously, uh, the end left a sour taste in people's mouth. I think it's really simple here, though. As the injury happened, he had to, you know, went down to Tampa, which is kind of a year that, like, we can all just pretend didn't happen. Chiano's using him in uh, off-zone coverage. Uh, then he goes to the Patriots. He wins the Super Bowl. Uh, but he, he started, obviously, lost a step. And the thing about Prime Revis is you talk to any of his teammates, they will tell you that he worked as hard as anybody. Uh, he busted his, you know, he worked so hard. And I think he wins the Super Bowl. He got all that money coming back from the injury. Getting older means you have to actually work a little bit harder. And I just think he kind of lost the drive, which I think is totally understandable uh, just from a human perspective. I know fans don't like to look at things that way, but he just didn't have it in him to put in the work to to get back to where he was. But that prime, that peak, Revis, was the best quarterback I have ever seen. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Stop trying to look at things as a human being, Chris. Come on now. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I have this <laughs> I have this problem. I don't know what to do. But yeah, that is all true about Darrell Revis. There were guys that were bigger and faster than him, but he was so strong. His technique was incredible, and he was so disciplined. In fact, you hear all the stories about what he was like in practice. If a guy even caught a pass on him in practice, he would get really pissed off. So I'll tell you this. Nicholas Dowadoff, who was on the program to discuss the 2011 season, he wrote the book, Collision Low Crossers, where he basically followed the Jets around as a de facto member of the coaching staff, minus the actual telling players what to do part of the job. He talked about how one of the most rewarding experiences of the job was being able to watch Darrell Rivas day in and day out because it was like watching Picasso paint, just absolute mastery, and no question about it, elite player all the way around. There's just nothing else you can say. So let's move on to our next guy, who's a guy that I think gets very disrespected. He should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, no question about it, and that is Joe Klecko. So let's go through his credentials real quick. 1981 Defensive Player of the Year. You go back, by the way, the 1981 season was absolutely unbelievable. Him and Gastineau combined for about 45 sacks. Think about that. Two guys on the same defensive line getting 45 sacks in a season. Also, AFC Defensive Player of the Year in 81. Four-time Pro Bowler. Two-time first-team All-Pro. Jersey retired. New York Jets Ring of Honor. And the thing about Klecko is not only did he do it for a long period of time, not only was he dominant, he would have double teams all the time that he would shed, but he did this all while he was hurt. All the time this guy was hurt. You go back and talk to teammates and you go and look at games and you read recaps. Always hurt. He was playing hurt. And never anybody could stop him. And you go talk to guys that were offensive linemen during that era, and they will all tell you they wanted nothing to do with Joe Klecko. And I think part of the reason why his candidacy is hurt is because the sack was not an official stat until later into his career. And so a lot of the stuff that he did do didn't register. But I'm telling you, you go back and you watch the film of this guy, you talk to players, an absolutely dominant force 
on the defensive line. And also, by the way, he played every position on the defensive line. He was so versatile. Joe Klecko should be in the Hall of Fame. I hope that one day he gets there. But absolutely, right there, his face on the Jets' Mount Rushmore defensive side of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the versatility and the playing through injuries, uh, th- those are the things that s- stick out the most to me, how dominant he was. I think the one of the reasons you're right about the sacks, and that's uh, not being counted, probably held against him. One of the other reasons that I think he gets overlooked is because of the next guy on the list that we will be talking about. It's, you know, sometimes on, on those things, there can only be one. There, people won't sit there and and give the two guys their credit. They can only focus on the one guy, and so I think that goes against him. But he was a, just a dominant force. He was so disruptive, and you could just like sometimes you usually you watch players that you like to to watch, and you just watch what they do. And that's what I would do with, with Klecko, of course. But I would also just look at whoever he was lined up against. And I would just watch them just get beat or just watch them be nervous. And I'd watch them react and just get thrown around. And like I, sometimes it was just fun to just sit there and just focus on that person, knowing what Klecko was about to do to them. And the next guy on the list who you referenced, of course, is his old running mate, Mr. Mark Gastineau. Now, I will say there are going to be people that say there should be an asterisk there because we know that Gastineau was doing steroids. He's admitted it. He tested positive a couple of times. And so people will say you really shouldn't include him. I'm going to leave that to other people. For now, we're just going with guys that were the best players for the Jets. And so if you want to have that debate, I get it. That's fine. I totally understand it. But let's go through his credentials, too. Five-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro, two-time sack leader, five-time All-AFC player, NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 1982. That was the strike-shortened season. Pro Bowl MVP in 84. All-time four-decade team for the Jets. Ring of Honor for the Jets. An absolutely incredible pass rusher. The best pure pass rusher the team has ever had. People don't realize this guy terrorized quarterbacks. And him and Klecko and the sack exchange, obviously, too, with Lions and Abdul Salam, just made these guys weep. There's actually a story, and I'm not even making this up, back in the 80s where they were playing the Colts. And Gastineau terrorized one of the offensive linemen so badly that he was on the sideline crying. He was just getting abused, and I mean literally crying. And go through, Gastineau up until the whole fiasco with Strahan was the single-season sack leader, but you want to talk about what a difference somebody can make as a rusher, and that's why you look at guys right now like J.J. Watt. As good as J.J. Watt is as an overall player, Gastineau is a pure pass rusher, was as good as any of these guys. Just a monster getting to the quarterback. And you go and look back, like I said, 81, 82, those years. 1981, he had over 20 sacks, and that was something that he would replicate a couple of times. He's still near the top of the list for all-time sacks. It's a shame what's happened to him personally, too. Obviously, we know he had demons, and now he's going through a lot of physical problems. A lot of it probably brought on from his years of playing football and from the stuff that he did as far as using drugs. But as far as just his play on the field, one of the most impactful players this team has ever had. If the Jets could get anybody that could be even half as good of a pass rusher as Mark Gastineau, they could be in for some wild times over the next couple of years. So no question for me, Mark Gastineau with his old running mate, Joe Klecko, has his face on that Mount Rushmore. Yeah, and you know, one of the sneaky underrated parts about the stats, uh, sack numbers from Gastineau 
and Klecko and, you know, the, that time. Just think about the style of football that was being played then. They weren't passing the ball that much. They, were, they weren't passing the ball 40 times a game like we are now. They were, it was mostly run-based offenses still where you, you could see a quarterback go 10 for 14 on the day. Like, and uh, so they didn't have nearly as many opportunities to sack the quarterback as uh, defensive guys do now. But they were still able to just put up numbers like that because they were so efficient with it. And, you know, talk about the steroids. I I refuse to get into trying to do that because if we're going to do that, like, okay, who didn't do steroids then? And how can you prove to me that they didn't do it? Especially in the NFL, there's a lot of it going on. There's been a lot of it going on. There's plenty of other people in the Hall of Fame that have done it there's no way for us to know so just you just have to look at what they did on the field and not worry about all the other stuff and he was as dominant as it gets and you know he was obviously a star and a headline grabber off the field but what he did on the field was just again as me at a young age watching this sitting there staring at him like how is somebody this big able to move like this and do what he does and it was it was just incredible to watch it was one of the first times that like i could see just somebody just absolutely dominating people physically just tossing them it was just amazing and he was as good as it gets and it was just there's you know jets have uh could definitely use somebody like him right now. As bad as they've needed a pass rusher for as long as they've needed a pass rusher, yeah, get, get the Jets the next Mark Asno, the next coming of him, and uh, that defense will be doing pretty good. The image I'll always have in my head of Mark Gastineau was in 1981 after the Jets had that big comeback win at Shea Stadium against the Dolphins, and Richard Todd led them down the field hobbling because he had a broken foot and broken ribs, and he could barely make it through the pain, but somehow found a way to lead that team down the field and get that touchdown with under 20 seconds to go. And after the game, the crowd was going absolutely bananas, and Mark Gastineau was running around the field celebrating with the fans for what seemed to be 10 to 15 minutes. So this is a guy that not only was a great football player but loved to play and an absolute freak of nature like you said guys his size shouldn't be able to move the way that he did shouldn't be as strong as he is combined with that speed it's a combination that you just don't see and so shout out by the way to our friend Connie Carberg who's the one that discovered Mark Gastineau and convinced the Jets to draft him in the second round I would say it was a bit of a steal, and if the Jets could get somebody like that in the second round, well, maybe not this year because they don't have a second-round pick, but you get the point. They'd be cooking with gas. As we move on to the final pick for the defensive Mount Rushmore, and this is the only one that I guess you could kind of debate. The other three, I think, are pretty much set in stone. This one you could kind of debate, but we agreed on it anyway, and that's Aaron Glenn, the cornerback who was drafted in the first round out of Texas A&M. Some great credentials for him as well, so let's go through those real quickly. He was a three-time Pro Bowler. Two of those were with the Jets. Three-time All-Pro. Two of those were with the Jets. He's on the Jets' all-time four-decade team and a blanket cover corner. And this is something that a lot of people that didn't get 
to watch him during his prime don't realize. We talk about Revis, but in a lot of ways, he was Revis before Revis. There was Aaron Glenn Island before there was Revis Island. And they were very different corners in a sense. Aaron Glenn was the better pure athlete. He was faster. He was smaller. He wasn't as strong. But if you put him on somebody one-on-one, he was shutting that guy down 100%. You go talk to his old teammates. I've mentioned Ray Mickens before. You can talk to Marcus Coleman about this. They'll both tell you, having played with him and in Marcus's case against him in college because Ray was a teammate of Aaron's at Texas A&M. They'll say it right to you. Aaron Glenn was an absolute beast. And he's another guy that faded kind of into obscurity as far as Jets fans go because now he's on the coaching staff with the Saints. But he doesn't really come around. He never did. He's not a guy that's super involved with Jets alumni or any of that. And they haven't put him in the ring of honor. So a lot of Jets fans kind of forgot about him. But they shouldn't because he's one of the greatest players that Jets ever had. And let me tell you something else. He is the best by far contribution that Pete Carroll made to this team because what a lot of people don't remember is back in the 1994 draft the Jets had the 13th overall pick and everybody thought they were going to pick either Charles Johnson the wide receiver out of Colorado or Johnny Morton the wide receiver out of USC and that was a desperate need that they had but they traded up a spot and ended up drafting Aaron Glenn, which at the time surprised a lot of people. And people were saying, you're going to pick a corner that high? Well, yeah, Aaron Glenn turned out to be one of the cornerstones in franchise history. So a great move there by Pete Carroll, who reportedly really was pounding the table to get Aaron Glenn in the draft. And then the next year, they went in and needed a wide receiver again, and instead ended up picking Kyle Brady. And finally, they rectified the problem in 1996 when they drafted Keyshawn Johnson. But Regardless of what they did at wide receiver and if they filled that need, getting Aaron Glenn was always going to be a win. A special player, somebody that I wish more Jets fans would give credit for for how good he was. And no question about it for the two of us, the fourth face on the Mount Rushmore for Jets defenders. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm ready and prepared for some uh, pushback from some people on this. How are you going to put Aaron Glenn up there? And again, I will say this, I, I do admit that I have a bias towards the cornerbacks and safeties. I remember as a kid, though, watching and just, it, it didn't make sense to me. It didn't compute how, and I, I say this all the time, you're running backwards, trying to guess where the guy in front of you is run, going as he's running forwards at full speed, knowing full well where he's going. And that is just such a hard, impossible thing to do. And uh, to be able to, as a young kid sitting there watching him, I, just how good he was, it didn't make sense. It just didn't compute to me. And I was just in awe watching it. And, I, you know, <clears throat> he doesn't get talked about like I, like I think he should and deserves to. He was so good. And it was just, just like you said, he was – more of an athlete than Revis, but the plays that he made and how you could just rely on him to just stick him on in front of a receiver and he was going to do the coverage thing and you know it would never the shutdown corner became term later after him but he was close he was a shutdown corner and there's a lot of other guys in this uh, you know Jets we'll talk about soon who could be 
good choices, solid choices. But to me, Aaron Glenn is the best choice for this fourth spot on uh, Mount Rushmore of the defense. Yeah, no question. And I think this is the one spot that you could debate over. I think the other three you really yeah. can't. And on the offensive side of the ball, it's really kind of hard to debate based on the fact that those four guys were Hall of Famers. Hey, guys. Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Chris, let's talk a little bit about guys that could have been selected that we didn't pick. And we're not going to get into heavy detail on this, but we'll run through them really quickly. On the offensive side of the ball, Wayne Corbett is the people's champion. Yes. I wouldn't put him on the Mount Rushmore because I just don't think he was a good enough player. But he was here for a decade, and he gave the Jets everything he had. And every year, he was productive, and he's a guy that the fan base still loves. So that's a guy you could consider. Emerson Boozer, similar situation. He was here for a long time. Unfortunately, because of the knee injury, he didn't have the kind of career that everybody expected of him. He had a nice career, but he wasn't as explosive after that early knee injury. He did go on to obviously win a Super Bowl, so a huge accomplishment there for him. And his old running mate in the backfield, Matt Snell, who was a dynamic player during his time. Not quite an elite player, and that's why I don't think he rises to the level of Mount Rushmore. But he does have one thing that no one else on this list has, and that is the fact that he should have been a Super Bowl MVP and in fact don't just take my word for it Joe Namath after the game took the MVP trophy walked it over to Snell and said this should really belong to you because the Jets would not have won that game without Snell performing the way that he did John Riggins obviously Hall of Famer great player but to me most of his best years were in Washington and so as good as he was with the Jets I just don't think that you could put him on the Mount Rushmore certainly you could make a strong case for the Washington Redskins Mount Rushmore Marvin Powell really good offensive tackle you could make a case for him I just think that he falls somewhere outside of that top four Keyshawn Johnson really good wide receiver I don't think that he's even in the top three or four wide receivers in Jets history and also he wasn't here long enough so that's why I wouldn't put him on Mickey Shuler absolutely outstanding tight end and I think he's probably one of the top 10 or so offensive players the Jets have ever had but I don't know that he's good enough the guy that I look at that you could probably make the strongest case for that didn't make it is Winston Hill, the outstanding offensive tackle. Here's a guy that was dominant at his position both in the passing game and the running game, and you go and talk to his old teammates. I had John Schmidt, the former center, from the teams that he was on, and he talked all about how Winston could do everything as a blocker, and so he's a guy that was a multi-time pro bowler, all pro, all of that. So he's a guy with incredible accolades that I think if you were expanding this to five or six, he would be right in the discussion. Nick Mangold, he probably would have been the fifth choice. He just missed the cut. But listen, when we revisit this another time, maybe somebody can make a case for him over Kevin Mawai. I wouldn't. I think Mawai was better, but not being as good as Kevin Mawai is not really anything to be ashamed of. 
Then you have the wide receivers and the running backs. And then as I finish this, Chris, I'm going to throw it over to you to give your thoughts on all these guys too. But Wesley Walker, and I'm a little bit biased here because as you know, if you're listening to the shows, we're doing a series right now with Wesley Walker on his life and career, and he's become a friend of mine, but an absolutely dynamic player. 13th season with the Jets. The big black mark against him is the fact that he got hurt a lot, and he admits that himself. But if you go and look at his career numbers, man, you're talking about a guy that every year over 20 yards per reception. I'll never forget that game in 1986 against the Miami Dolphins when he scored four touchdowns in that shootout. One of the best deep threats that the league has ever seen and certainly the best deep threat that the Jets have ever had. Al Toon, this is a guy that I know you love, Chris. A nice career for the Jets. Got shortened because of all the concussions. JoJo Townsell brought up a really good point with him in the sense that Altoon was a guy that could have been a deep threat, but they already had Wesley, so they used him as more of a possession receiver, and that probably shortened his career because he was getting smacked a lot. These guys couldn't really defend Altoon by going one-on-one with him because he was too big and too fast, but what they could do was smash him, and back then, you could get away with doing that as opposed to now it's a lot harder, so that is what hampered Altoon and kept him from being a guy that was a dominant receiver for over a decade but still the career that he had here he had a couple of all pro appearances excellent wide receiver and the last one here and another one that came very close Freeman McNeil he had a lot of injuries and he got slowed down late in his career but you go and look at his peak let me tell you something 1982 you can make a very strong case that Freeman McNeil was the best offensive player in the league if it wasn't him then it was Dan Fouts who won MVP or Marcus Allen who had an incredible rookie season maybe the best rookie season ever in nine games he had 14 touchdowns and over 1100 yards of offense so he's right there in that discussion for best player in the league that year but you go ahead and look 5.2 yards per carry that season and every Every year of his career, over four yards per carry, he could cut on a dime, just an incredibly elusive player, didn't have that breakaway speed, but nobody could juke defenders out of their shoes like Freeman McNeil, incredible field vision too. So those are the guys that we had on the list as maybe didn't make it for some reason or were the people's champ, like I said, with a guy like Wayne Corbett wasn't good enough, but merited discussion. So Chris, if you could go ahead and unpack a bunch of those guys, what do you think of some of the ones that just missed the list? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. As I was listening to you list that, I was thinking about how deep the wide receiver position is probably in this. You got, you know, obviously, Corbett, uh, as you said, people's champs, Altoon, Wesley Walker. But then uh, growing up, like Santana Moss, Lavernius Coles, obviously not uh, deserving of a Mount Rushmore being at the best. But, oh, man, were they fun to watch. And the Jets fans loved them, the speed that they brought. And it's an interesting position to think about all the talent that the Jets have had there, considering how much they've struggled with quarterback play. They've they've always managed to be able to, you know, Keyshawn Johnson to have some of those receivers. So, um, again, Nick, Nick Mangold will talk about, uh, you know, my covering him for so long, being able to talk to him, to see him practice, to see him work, to know how as smart of a guy he is. He is super intelligent. Like, it, so my bias might be able to swing me to say he was better than Mawai, but my reality, realistic way of looking through things, say, no, he's, he's just not there. He's a little bit under there. Um, also, I, I'm sure fans will want to hear DeBrickishaw Ferguson's name in there who at his peak might have been deserving to, but he struggled with some consistency issues through his career that a lot of fans never really wanted to admit to. Um, but there's, uh, you know, Freeman McNeil is another one uh, as great as he, he was right up there in that list. Um, 
but yeah, there, there's uh, on both sides of the ball. There's a lot of competition for that. You know, those five, fifteen spots. That's really where we're at. That's where they have a lot of the good players. But uh, you know, the, the the Jets, those those top spots are pretty cemented. And everybody else, you you, if we polled a thousand people, we'd probably have like seventy four different answers for the, the number four and five spots. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. If you pressed me, I would say Mangold and Winston Hill would probably be five and six. But you could debate that for sure. You could talk about McNeil or Toon or Walker. Despite the joking that we all do, the Jets have had some really good talent on the offensive side of the ball and plenty on the defensive side of the ball, too. So let's talk about this, Chris. Some guys that didn't quite make the list or maybe we thought they would have if they'd stayed around longer, stuff like that. Greg Buttle, certainly in the discussion, one of the best linebackers this team has ever had. You can make the case that he's the best pure linebacker that they've ever had. Ray Mickens, people's champion, and I'm a little biased here because he appeared on the show. Not a guy that I would put on the Mount Rushmore, but certainly a guy that was a lot of fun to watch in a trailblazer in a lot of ways because of the way that he played the nickel position. James Hasty, excellent corner. I don't think good enough to necessarily go on the Mount Rushmore, but right there in the discussion after Aaron Glenn and Darrell Revis as far as best cornerbacks the Jets have ever had I would say those two guys then Hasty and Bobby Jackson those are probably the four best corners the Jets have ever had and then you look through the rest of this list David Harris again hell of a career we all love them not quite good enough to be on that Mount Rushmore but a very solid player I'd say Marvin Jones same thing very very strong player as an inside linebacker for about a decade for the Jets but not quite good enough to make the Mount Rushmore Marty Lyons He's right there in that discussion, too. You could dock him some points because he played with Klecko and Gastineau, but just an outstanding player. Not quite at the level of the four guys that were on the Mount Rushmore, but just on the outside of it. Mo Lewis is another guy. Some people would say that he would be the fifth pick, although, Chris, you disqualify him for a reason that I'll let you explain. But a two-time All-Pro and one of the best outside linebackers this team has ever had gave the Jets a really long career, too. He was here for over a decade, and I wish that he would come out and be more of a part of of the Jets organization because we all miss him. In fact, I got to reach out again to Marcus Coleman, who co-hosts with Joe Blewett on TOJ Film Room, about hooking me up with Mo Lewis because I'd really love to get him on Play Like a Jet. Sean Ellis, outstanding player. One of the best defensive linemen in the league for a long time, but not quite on that elite level and certainly outside of the four guys that we put on that Mount Rushmore. But again, right in that discussion for that 5-6 spot. Jonathan Vilma, tremendous career. Unfortunately, most of it was away from the New York Jets, so that's why he doesn't make it. John Abraham, look, you could make an absolutely strong case for him. He wasn't here a long time, but he was a dominant pass rusher. My only strike against him, Chris, same with you, I'm sure, is that he wasn't here for a really long time, and so I give the longevity a little bit of clout here and don't put him in. Jerry Philbin, he's a guy that at first I had on the list over Aaron Glenn and then changed my mind. Leader on this defense, Super Bowl champion, multiple-time All-Star, an outstanding player. And Larry Grantham, same thing. Larry Grantham might have even been better than Philbin, so you can make a case for him for that spot. So a lot of competition for that fourth spot, but those are the guys that we talked about as honorable mentions and, like I said, people's champ choices. Yeah, no, I'll start with Mo Lewis, great player, who might have been deserving, but he has to be disqualified because he created Tom Brady. So, <laughs> I mean, he is the guy who almost murdered Drew Bledsoe on the field. I remember watching that live and being legitimately concerned for Drew Bledsoe's well-being and, and if he was going to live. 
Like, I was literally shook. Like, oh, my God. Might have just watched someone die on the field. That hit was so hard. Like, I can still hear ringing in my ear from that hit. But that hit knocked Bledsoe out. Let them bring in Tom Brady, and then uh, we know the rest. And who knows? Maybe Brady never gets into a game if he doesn't do that. So, yeah, I'm sorry, Mo, but I uh, got to hold that against you. You're, you're disqualified now. <laughs> uh, John Abraham, another guy, he, you could probably argue, put a really good case that he does belong there. But then have, leaving, and then it's also what happened at the end, how he left. The whole, you know, he had the injuries at the regular season, at the regular season, and then wasn't sure if he was going to play in the playoff games and didn't want to do that. And, like, I get it as cool, but the way that that left definitely left a sour taste in a lot of fans' mouths. So he, he's as pure talent. He's up there, that's for sure. But as far as Jets players, what he did for the franchise, he's, he's going to have to miss just a little bit there. Um, you know, uh, David Harris, again, we talked about, I had the pleasure of covering him, talking to him. He, he wasn't somebody, he, he didn't like the media attention either. Uh, he, but like when you did get to talk to him, couldn't have been a nicer guy. Very smart. Again, like Mangold would be able to explain things and all, all that. Um, and Vilma, again, another, uh, to watch him, remember watching him in college and then watching him here, the just he was so fast to watch him fly around it just you know a lot of things we like in sports are the extreme outliers like whether it's the 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 biggest strongest most powerful person or just somebody who just moves faster than it, it, it makes any sense almost incomprehensible and to watch the way he flew around and he wasn't running around like a chicken in with his head cut off he knew where he was going it was all instincts and reaction um he was just an absolute pleasure to watch uh you know there's a bunch of people and then you know we can go about we could go talk some recent players who uh we thought at least those first couple years thought would have had a chance to creep up and possibly be in this list and we can go three defensive linemen who drafted very closely together with uh muhammad wilkerson with sheldon richardson and even go ahead and throw leonard williams in that mix the way that they started out their careers it was we were looking at them like okay i mean remember people were talking about in that you can Cobles didn't have that same uh expectations in there people doubted that pick a little more than the others when it was made but remember, people started talking about bringing back the New York Sack Exchange nickname and the Sons of Anarchy nickname because everyone was looking at these guys like they were going to be such a force, different reasons. But, you know, and Leo is still here, obviously, but last couple of years make it seem like, all right, he's not going to reach that level. Um, but there, there's been a lot of talent there on both si- on that side of the ball, too. It's, uh, you know, a lot of it up front, though, a lot of it up front.
Chris, the book is not officially closed yet on Leonard Williams, so let's keep our fingers crossed and hope Absolutely. that a couple of years from now we're having a different discussion and he's right there in the mix for that Mount Rushmore spot. And if he is, then he will be a very big deal, just like you, Chris. <laughs> not quite as big of a deal. Though. Not quite, but he could still be at least junior league very big deal. You could take him under your wing and teach him how to be a good very big deal. Chris Nimbley, the owner of JetsInsider.com, thanks so much for doing this President's Day edition talking about who should be on the Mount Rushmore on the defensive and offensive side of the ball for the New York Jets. Fun time as always. Looking forward to talking to you again in a couple of days. In the meantime, though, for anybody that doesn't know where to find you and your very big deal work, why don't you go ahead and let them know? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at CNimbly and of course at JetsInsider.com. I took the last couple weeks off to you know do some things, for, but this week I've got to have a bunch of stuff coming in the pipeline, a bunch of new articles coming out to look at free agency draft and all that stuff. I've been preparing for it, so I'll, I'll be I'll be ready to drop some new stuff. Listen, when you're a very big deal, you make your own schedule. That's just how it goes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you get it. You get it. I do my best, man. Even though I'm not a very big deal, I try to at least understand what it's like to be a very big deal. So go ahead and visit JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.